He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host. Joined by the rest of the Munson's. Want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in the world. So we're going to start this time with Aubrey. I elicited your guys' help in teaching my students about acting and how to identify right. good acting and bad acting. I also elicited help from some of my other friends. And I thought that I did a really good job. I showed them... As an example of a great modern performance, subtle acting, um, and just what I think is probably one of the best performances of the last like 20 years. I showed them Natalie Portman as Jackie Kennedy in 2016's Jackie. And of the 25 kids in the class, 15 of them did not like that movie. One kid wrote on her paper that this was not subtle acting, all caps. (laughs) She was trying very hard and multiple kids did not like her performance. Is that movie not good? I like Jackie. <laughs> and I loved her performance, too. <laughs> they don't think Jackie Kennedy, the character or the person, was not a subtle person. Who are they interacting with? Yeah. They said Jackie Kennedy's not interesting. My, my, my. They also said Natalie Portman's voice was annoying and grating. That movie's too old for them. It's it's only seven years old. Or it's it's already <laughs> seven years old. It's too old for them. <laughs> they were doing so good. I blame Catholicism. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if you could have found a biography of the Kardashians, they would have thought that was the best acting ever. So it's probably just the content, and they're not willing to go back in history however many years that was going. But that's hilarious. Yep. Well, I mean, that's what you get for not showing a scene from Encino Man from 1995. Because if you had shown that, if they had realized what wheezing the juice meant, then maybe they would have come around. All I'm saying. Wheeze the juice. There Will Be Blood is up next for them, so I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how they're going to handle that. Yeah. Maybe. Things are good. Two items of news on the cusp of the writer strike ending. So looking forward to some comedy shows coming back, particularly Bill Maher. I miss that show. I, wa- I like to watch that show every Friday. It's been off the air since May. And sad news is that Expendables 4 bombed at the box office this weekend. <laughs> Which I know breaks Craig's heart. There's been like nothing out to watch the last month. It's been rough. Absolutely. I agree with you. Eight, eight million, which is pretty bad for that franchise. It's been bottom feed. I'm a fan of that franchise, and I didn't know there was an Expendables 4, so it adds up to me. Yeah, the marketing for it was definitely not as as strong as the other three. I will say that. I mean, I don't know how this happened. They brought in 50 and Megan Fox. I could not see a bomb coming. Mm -hmm. I really thought that was going to take this one over. (laughs) We're waiting for the crossover with Fast and Furious. (laughs) Fast and Furious is a much better franchise. (laughs) Much better. A Fast and Furious Expendables crossover would be something else. But it wasn't Expendables 4, unfortunately. Case. Well, as you guys know, in the last year, I've been going through some career stuff, and I'm ready to go in a different direction. I'm seriously considering, and if the producers of this show listen, which they probably do, I'm interested in going uh, 90-day fiancé the other way. I'm ready to go international, go live with somebody for 90 days as, as a fiancé. 
I wish you the best of luck. Just make sure you have a podcasting <laughs> setup for those three months you're going to be there. All right. Maybe there could be a show about it, and they send you to exotic locations for those 90 days. <laughs> I'm in. Just make sure you're obsessed with the zip line and <laughs> yell at anybody who runs the zip line. That's what's most important. In the spirit of a couple updates as well, uh, first and foremost, I won my fantasy baseball league. So not that it matters, but I won a bunch of money. Don't become an asking me for money, though, you heathens. First time ever. I've been doing that league for like seven years and I won. So that's great. And then I saw the Regal Mystery Monday movie last week. And I always enjoy the experience because you just never know what you're going to get. And the movie last week was Dumb Money, which is all about the GameStop situation with Paul Dano. And I love any film with Paul Dano. It's probably a film that doesn't need to exist, especially not so quickly after the GameStop situation, but it was still enjoyable because Paul Dano is phenomenal. And this watching uh, Wall Street get taken down a notch by day traders is fun. Not unlike the big short that we'll talk about later. Very similar. Big Short's a much better film. And I like Paul Dano in, in um, Dumb Money also. I felt the uh, cast was just totally miscast in Dumb Money, except for Paul Dano. Well, that's the only one that really matters. But well, we are excited to welcome back Chip Hessenflow of the Too Much Scrolling podcast. Chip is the, the co-host of that podcast with all the information that you need to survive another week. Movies, books, news... They publish every Tuesday. He owns a financial planning practice in the Chicago and Raleigh areas. He works with all sorts of people who are much more interesting than he is. He enjoys his career, which lends him time to think and sometimes be creative. Uh, Chip was born bald. Unfortunately, we can't see him tonight, but we'll assume that the hair has not grown on his head, that he's still resembling Craig Case in many ways. Mm -hmm. Very handsome. Yeah, that's right. Handsome, (laughs) but bald, you know, quite the combo. You can find Too Much Scrolling on your favorite podcatcher or smart speaker by searching Too Much Scrolling. And Chip was previously with us for the James Marsden, Emma Thompson, Matthew Broderick, and Amy McDowell episode. So this is episode appearance five. Welcome back, Chip. All right. You know, it's almost like those SNL guys. I'm like Tom Hanks on SNL. I just show up once in a while. (laughs) How exciting to be here. We unfortunately didn't get your gold jacket in time, so we'll have to send it to you in the mail. <laughs> Green jacket, gold jacket, who gives a shit? Chip, it's so hard not to say your name like that, Chip. I just want you to know. It's really challenging. Well, I'm in the South now most of the time, down in Raleigh, so it is two syllables now. She up. She up. <laughs> <laughs> what have you guys been tackling in the uh, too much scrolling world lately? Oh, we've been uh, doing all the important things. Um, we had first-hand seats to see Cat Video Fest 2023. What an incredible collection of cat videos to watch. And I, we got to see that at Alamo Draft House. And I truly mean that was a true thing. And, and when you said the movies are kind of uh, digging the bottom of the barrel right now, yes, I had to review that one week. Uh, and I did, we did Dumb Money this week, and I, I, I thought it was all right. I, I really did like um, Paul in the movie as far as our lead, but I really struggled with many of the other casting choices. Hold on. Did you say that you watched a compilation of, of adorable cat videos at a movie theater? I did. At Alamo Draft House, they have <laughs> wow. Cat Video Fest 2023. Yes, you can look it up. Hashtag TMS Movies on Facebook. You can find my review there. It's much better in theory than in practice. 
as we decide to go through this actor's career, if there's any mentions of cats along the way, I will say let's fully embrace that as part of our show narrative. So yeah, let's let's rock and roll, Chip. Glad to have you back. Yeah, buddy. I'm glad to be here. All right, birthdays October fifth, Rigby. What do we got? All right, first up, Miss Kate Winslet of Titanic mm-hmm. fame and a lot of other stuff. Fame, Revolutionary Road. Yep, Mayor of Easttown. Mayor of Easttown, great show. I love Kate Winslet. I do too. Me too. She's awesome. Big pod favorite. I know James is a fan as well. I'm gonna say Kate is is a 48. The one I do with these is, you know, Titanic came out in 97, so that was 26 years ago. I'm going to say 58. Give me 52. I'm going to go way low, well, lower than you guys did, because I'm a gentleman. He's <laughs> 45. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> All of you guess, and Kyle got it right on the head, 48. Wow. Pure guess. That was good. Good victory, but she would be more flattered by my guess. She will be, yeah. That's true. She's a big listener. She listens to every episode. <laughs> Second tonight, Mr. Uh, Mr. Mark Zuckerberg, uh, otherwise known as Jesse Eisenberg. <laughs> no idea how old this guy is. This, this is the hardest. These are the hardest ones for me, I'm going to be honest. He's had the same persona since, since the social network, basically, So in every one of his movies. So it's been, this is a tough one. He has the persona of a 62-year-old Jewish man who wants nothing to do with the world. Exactly. That is not the answer we're looking for, I would imagine. I promise you he's not 62. But he's very good at the zombie rules, just in case you... That is true. Mm-hmm. Apocalypse or something. First time he was. The second time was I... I really liked uh, the show he was in this past spring called Fleischman is in Trouble on FX. That was really good. I've heard great things about this show. Yeah, he was awesome in it, too. Give me 42. Oh, man, that's right, right where I was going, 41, 42. I'll go 41. I think that's too old. 37. I think he's only a couple years older than the, yeah, I think he's, fuck it, 37 with Aubrey. I'm co-signing on that. Yeah. Unity. Unity. <laughs> he is actually turning the big four zero. Damn. Yeah. You, guys, you guys win by prices right rules. Yep. He's done a lot for only turning 40. Yeah, I know. He fought Superman. He did. <laughs> he sure did. <laughs> yeah, happy birthday to Kate and Jesse. Episode 90, y'all. We are here. Woo-hoo. We had five actors we threw on the wheel per our normal approach. The other four who weren't selected were Richie Coster, Rada Mitchell, Taraji P. Henson, and Betty Gilpin. Much to the chagrin of Aubrey, Taraji was not selected, but Steve Carell was. And Steve Carell is a heck of a fun pull. That's what we're here to do. We talk about the consistencies. We talk about the highs, the lows, the things that stand out to us. And uh, Chip comes to hang out with us and, and talk a little bit about Steve Carell. Before we do that, we always start with a little actor trivia. Normally, James, who would be here, he's currently over in Italy doing family pilgrimage things. So he's about 15 pounds heavy in, in pasta at this moment in time. But he passed the baton of the trivia over to Aubrey, who's going to try to stump us Fast and Furious style. Everyone lower your standards. This is my strategy. (laughs) This will not be as good as it normally is. So everyone just brace yourself. Hey, it's hard to do. (laughs) I I tried to pull it off a couple weeks ago. It is hard to pull off a James here. (laughs) Rules of the game are it's 
a simple two truths and a lie. And then the lie will be about one of the many wondrous cast members of the Fast and Furious franchise. So here are the facts. Often mentioned as one of the best looking people in Hollywood for his age, he attributes it to having committed to fitness and mental health later in life and now having two personal trainers, which he mentions as his therapist since he vents his issues with them during workouts. The second fact, he worked the overnight shift at a 24-hour convenience store as well, post office in where he delivered mail using his own car since the post office did not have mail carrier vehicles. And the third fact is he has the rare distinction with 19 other actors of being in two movies that opened on the same day in the United States. Mm, those are all really good. Huh. Mm. I killed it. You did. <laughs> you made those up all, all on your own, right? Yeah, just right now at the top of the head. <laughs> I believe one and three. So I'm going to go with two is the lie. And I think that is John Cena. Wow. John Cena delivering mail. And it's wild. I believe that. It's just a fun picture. I think it's actually number three because in a strange twist of fate, I get to use this performer with the song featured in the big short Moneymaker. It's about Ludacris, <laughs> who had two films open on the same day. So it works out. Aubrey's not guessing, so I get to use Ludacris. Case found a freaking Ludacris connection <laughs> to a Steve Carell movie. I love that. The post office one is incorrect, and I'm going to say it's Vin Diesel. <laughs> Paul. <laughs> say fact one about the gorgeous-looking uh, human who has two multiple like personal trainers that's none other than the gentleman who played carter verone in too fast too furious that is cole hauser also from goodwill hunting fame that is my guess officially on the books that's good all good guesses i love that we got a rapper in thank you case mm-hmm. you're welcome unity again unity <laughs> it's all about family <laughs> so in reverse order the third fact is true i was in anchorman and sleepover on two, July 9, 2004, two other months in shared this, uh, shared the distinction, which was William Defoe and Chris Rock. Chris Rock had the longest yard, longest yard in Madagascar on the same day. And then William Defoe had Life Aquatic and The Aviator on Christmas Day of 2004. Number one, although Steve Carell is often mentioned as being one of the best looking actors at his age, he's 61 is very private about his diet workout routine and personal life in general the fact is actually true about ludicrous nice who's basically the fast and furious movies so we got ludicrous in there the second fact is also true he uh, he said he takes many of his characters from this experience working the overnight shift in a convenience store and when he resigned from the post office position for months afterward he continued to find our seats oh wow yeah case wins by guessing the rapper and i love it nice <laughs> First fact was not true, but it was about Chris Bridges. I love that. You know, James was looking out for you, Case, on that one. He was. Case, why don't you tell us about uh, his snapshot in box office? Well, as you guys know, I'm always preferential to people that have uh, complete box office credits, and I am only missing one film from his filmography for data. So we, in my opinion, have one of the more accurate ones. We just have a ton of data in this one. He joins a couple other actors joining the billion-dollar club from box offices. 
Minions and Despicable Me 3, both world grossed over a billion, which is just insane. And then he has a ton of other just massively high box office films. An interesting thing I found is he only ranks 37th in average budget, which is $175 million. And this is a little bit of foreshadowing into how he's going to do in our overall box office. That 37th ranking in an average budget is impressive when you compare it with he is 8th in total box office. He is 18th in star meter ranking at time of recording, 26th in critic ranking, 21st in fan ranking, 12th and 24th in two different box office metrics. And not surprising when you have an actor who's in the top quarter in every one of his comparable categories, he ranks ninth out of 90 actors so far. Wow. Thoughts? Pretty impressive for a guy that got into acting late in life, comparatively to some other people we've covered. Those animated movies are carrying that box office. They are, for sure. For (laughs) sure. And the one movie I thought was very surprising was Anchorman. Anchorman, the first one, I say only, only world grossed $91 million. I That was shockingly low to me. I thought that movie did a lot better, especially when you consider Anchorman 2 world grossed $174 million. Yeah, that's interesting. Jeez. It's kind of like Zoolander in that it was just like a, like a cult hit that people just kept talking about, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, this guy's an ATM machine when it comes to the box office. <laughs> you said his star meter was 18? Compared to our other performers. So he's yeah. 456th in current star meter, which ranks him 18th compared to our other actors. I would always assume that would be higher. Me too. Just for the relatability of The Office. That would never really drop. Yeah. That's, that's a little shocking to me. And he certainly benefited from really wonderful ensemble pictures. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like the big short. Yeah, I'm going to talk about it in my Munson meter. This guy has incredible project selection. Yeah. All right, well, let's not spoil it for the people now. Let's let's dig in and uh, sprinkle these puppies in as we go through this this episode. Let's do it. Normally, I'd have James here, and he would help me fill in some gaps with the early life. So if you guys have some nuggets, feel free to pop in after I hit my pieces here. But he was born in Concord, Massachusetts in 1962. Um, so he's the same age as my parents, and let me just say he looks way better than my parents. <laughs> they don't listen to this podcast, so I can say that. You need to say it with all due respect first, so they don't get mad. <laughs> it doesn't mean you get to say what you want. <laughs> sure the heck does. All you ever done, Chip, is make a hot daughter. That's it. <laughs> Got to get that chip reference in. Um, but when he was younger, he played some hockey and lax in, in his high school days. So he did some of the athlete things. He also played the fife, which I didn't know what a fife was until I did a little Googling. Does anybody know what the fife is? It's like a flute. And it's not the Barney version. Yeah, it's like a piccolo, essentially. And he was in Concord, Massachusetts. I mean, <laughs> he's got to do his right... Uh, revolutionary reenactments at some point. <laughs> That's what he did. He did a bunch of reenactments playing the fife back in the day. So that was just like his first acting gig. But he was a graduate of Denison University, which is a very good private school in Ohio, actually. Yeah. I don't, do you know of any other good Denison alums out there, fellas? You're forgetting about Hal Holbrook? Yeah, Hal Holbrook. I see that. Hal Holbrook's a Denison alum? Yeah, my man. All right. 
Richard Luger. Dick Luger. I thought you were going to say Greco. My current number one crush, Jennifer Garner. Oh. She's she's tied with Cheryl Crow. Which reminds you, what's in your wallet? <laughs> <laughs> Special significance for Rigby, too, because he campaigned for Dick Luger. Yeah. There when uh, when he lived in Indianapolis, the one of the last few moderate Republicans in the Senate. Yep. So. Oh. Yeah, one of the last, absolutely. So we have Michael Eisner, who's also a Denison graduate. Oh, yeah. Well, look at that. And if you want to punch a Clemson player, Woody Hayes is also <laughs> former Ohio State coach. Woody Hayes Who does was it? a Denison graduate. So he graduated in 84. When he was at Denison, he was part of Burpee's CD theatrical company, Improv Troop. So we got his, his start in, in the college performing days on the improv side. None of that surprises me at all when you see the work he does early in his career, especially as we get to like the Dana Carvey show and things like that. So very much makes sense for his trajectory as a performer. Played goalie in hockey. So like I said, he, he played hockey and lacrosse and Sapphire Steve Carell on the campus radio station. So Steve and I both, you know, we both played hockey in college. We both had a radio show. And I think Steve and I are similar, but he has clearly taken that to much greater heights than I did. I'm just a Munson these days. Mm-hmm. It's debatable. <laughs> Not a very long debate, but it is debatable. Return for your legendary comedy. <laughs> I mean, he got into acting right about my age right now. So, so you're saying there's still time? You still have a chance. Anything is possible. There's some called talent. I don't have it. I don't have it. Didn't you just say you won your fantasy baseball league? What are you talking about? There's plenty of talent there. Come on, man. <laughs> some might call it luck. I call it, well, luck. So what? But per James's trivia construction, he, he spent seven months as a U- USPS mail carrier in Massachusetts. He, his roots are deep to that. He still owns a general store in Massachusetts, the store that's been around since the mid-1800s. So, like, the man has not left his roots from the early days in Massachusetts, which is pretty cool. That's not normal for a lot of performers we cover. They're like, hey, I'm going to go off to L.A. or wherever, New York, and live somewhere. Yeah, that's awesome. So his first thing, he did a Brown's Chicken commercial in 1989. It's kind of his like first on-screen work um, back in the late 80s. Brown's Chicken is a Chicago brand. When I first moved up to Chicago, it's like the local fried chicken place. Well, that makes sense because he was doing Second City Improv in Chicago around 1991. So it makes sense that he'd be doing Chicago-based commercials too. Which probably led him to meeting John Hughes. Mm-hmm. Yes, and also meeting our boy Jim Belushi on the set of Curly Sue in 1991, his first role. Life update, 95, he married Nancy Walls, and they had two children in 2001 and 2004. Damn, his, his kids are 22 and 19 now. So he's, a, he's almost an empty nester, or he probably is an empty nester at this point. Um, and if you look up Steve Carell, you will see tons and tons of photos with him and his wife. I feel like 50% of the photos are him and his wife. Yeah, red carpet and stuff. And they're still married? They are still married, of my understanding. Yep. Very cool. She's been in, she's got a few cameo roles and not, yeah. nothing that, well, 40-year-old virgin she's in, but she's in like anger management and bridesmaids. So she's probably connected with the same crew that, you know, Carell is. I'm wondering if they met at Second City or something like that. Wouldn't be, wouldn't be shocked. They're both writer performers at Second City. I just want to point out that I am a clairvoyant. <laughs> or just really insightful. <laughs> As he's going through the mid-90s there, he does an episode of All My Children, so goes to the soap side for a moment in 96. And then he played a variety of characters in eight episodes of The Dana Carvey Show, 
1996. Um, did you guys watch the clip of the Dana Carvey show that's in the show notes? I didn't. It's like a minute and a half. The setup is he and Dana Carvey are they're going around wasting money. So like they go to the movie theater. Louis C.K. is taking tickets in the box office, which kind of caught me off guard. It was a very young Louis C.K. And they they purchase two tickets. They give him the money and then they take off and that's their practical joke and the next one is they go to freaking shoveling the snow from some old lady's house and they're giggling their ass off when they go up to the door and she goes so how much do i owe you guys and they go ten dollars each and as she she goes back to get the money they take off and they giggle that's the that's the bit is that they keep leaving money behind and uh, like they're pulling something on somebody it's so stupid but <laughs> He he looked 45 even in those videos. You know what I'm saying? Like he, <laughs> mm-hmm. he's like found his sweet spot in terms of age there, I guess. But from 96 to 2011, he was on 13 different episodes of SNL. So he started his run in 96 as Gary slash Big Head, kind of like Chip, just showing up every once in a while. Made a bunch of appearances on SNL over the years. And I've got a big head too. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> He was doing the cartoon. TV Funhouse, little section. TV Funhouse, yeah, those are hilarious. <laughs> Gary. So you're saying he was part of Gary and Ace? Yes. Yeah. Come on, the ambiguously gay duo? Ambiguously gay duo. Yes, that's, that was Stephen Colbert. Stephen Colbert and Stephen Carell. That is great. That's hilarious. The ambiguously gay duo is one of my favorite skits on SNL. That's so funny. I'm glad you said that, Gary. <laughs> Do we think it's because he was a Daily Show correspondent from 99 to 05, and that's how he and Colbert started working together? And that's what brought him to the SNL side? Well, for sure. I think they just did a lot of voiceover work. I mean, he did Outlaw Golf, right? And that's 2002. And Stephen Colbert took over for that also at some point. Those were video games. So they were probably doing whatever they could to make a little scratch to stay in the business. And Cheddar? Some cheddar cheese. Where was that second city also? Mm-hmm. I think his wife at this time might have been a writer on Saturday Night Live, so it, it all kind of adds up. Yep. Yeah, none of that's random. 97, he was in 12 episodes of the show Over the Top with Tim Curry. Played Yorgo. Uh, this was the video I sent in the group chat because he plays like a an Eastern European guy with like a almost series of workout like videos in the mid 90s and it's fantastic watching him put on the the eastern european accent so this is not a tv adaptation of the classic sylvester stallone movie okay not that i'm aware of i didn't see any arm wrestling in the the scenes i watched unfortunately (laughs) the cult classic over the top it's a sport it's a winner (laughs) and then he was in watching ellie from 2002 to 03, did 16 episodes of that show. We played Edgar. So a lot of TV, a lot of one-off spots and things like that through the 90s and early 2000s. He, did, he was had a couple film roles, but they were pretty small. From my understanding, he was struggling to really break into that space. But boy, did he find it in 2003's Bruce Almighty. He played Evan Baxter, a film that led to an offshoot, Evan Almighty, a few years later. And this is what we're going to call his first major role. And Chip, as our guest Munson, drew this one. I, when I say a supporting role, he only has probably three or four scenes uh, in this that are, that are large scenes. He is the foil, uh, Jim Carrey's character. And when I was watching this film, I kept thinking a lot about 
1993's Groundhog Day because I, I kept thinking, man, these, these may have been written by the same writers. Bruce Almighty movie is sort of a, uh, a timeless type of story. Um, and there's a path that Jim Carrey's character takes for it. They are not, they were not written by the same um, writers at all. Steve Carell plays a, a reporter who gets the job that, that Jim Carrey's character wants. He's going to be the anchorman uh, for this, um, this newscast up in Massachusetts. The movie is, is, is pretty good. I, I, I actually liked it. There was some depth to it. Um, there's a reason why we all wanted to watch Jim Carrey movies at that time. He's this rubbery, cartoonish man. And I think that works against it becoming like a Groundhog Day, where you watch it over and over and over. Uh, Morgan Freeman's in this. He plays God. There's three big scenes. One is where Jim Carrey is sitting across a table uh, during a meeting with... Uh, Steve Carell's character, and they're giving each other the finger, they're making fun of each other. Steve Carell gets the job, is the next scene where he gets to perform, and Jim Carrey's character is um, making him speak incorrectly and very funny. And <laughs> the, the, the side uh, actor who who's plays the other anchor person, at the end of the movie they, they show sort of some cut scenes. She is just cracking up the whole time because... Steve Carell is just so gifted at the delivering, like, the nonsensical words, like, blah, 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 you know, whatever those things are. <laughs> and the final scene that he's in in this film is where Jim Carrey uh, basically apologizes for um, treatment of uh, Evan, which is uh, Steve Carell's character. Ultimately, this, this movie is uh, about growth, where Jim Carrey's character is very self-centered, thinks about himself. Only himself. It doesn't realize the impact he's having uh, on the world around him. Ultimately, realizes that you know we all have a place in this world, and even if you don't get the promotion, just be the best person you can be, and the place you got your 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 career where you, where you can be the most helpful. Uh, I did like this film a lot. I I, I would say fifty five out of hundred. I use a hundred point scale, so it's you know it's an average film. If he got roped into to watching it, I think he would like it. I think it's a very pleasant film. Listen, Chip, I like a do the cha-cha. <laughs> <laughs> that scene kills me every time I watch it. When he says, in other news, the Prime Minister of Sweden visited Washington today and my tiny little nipples went to France. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's delivery. I mean, think about, he uses that same delivery in The Daily Show. Yep. <laughs> He uses the, the anchorman in Outlaw Golf. That scene where they are in the conference room and they're flipping each other off is so funny. It's like that that's a great introduction to Steve Carell's character. You knew he was going to be hilarious the rest of the movie. I find it to be strangely a touch point because the Freeman as like God overall overarching narrator thing started after this. Mm -hmm. And then the Steve Carell scene in the camera is like a memorable scene that everyone can like everyone knows that scene. Yeah. Yep. It's odd because Jim Carrey is unleashed and doing Jim Carrey stuff, but that's not what this movie is remembered for. Like the legacy of this movie is it has nothing to do with Jim Carrey. He's inconsequential part of it, which is odd because that's not usually how those things go with him. <laughs> well, if you wanted to 
to wish something to come out of your backside. Um, yes, there's a scene for that in here. The monkey comes out of his butt. <laughs> yes. And then goes back in. <laughs> Did that monkey just come out your crack, man? <laughs> when it, when Jim Carrey looks at him and says, "Go back where you you, know, you belong, butt monkey," and the monkey starts running back. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that uh, Noel Guglielmi too? Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That guy's been in a lot. <laughs> well, thanks, Chip. Appreciate you getting us started with our reviews, there, man. Talk about a uh, a twist to go from. Uh, 2003's Bruce Almighty to his next movie, which was Melinda, Melinda, Woody Allen film in 2004. That's a choice. That's a different choice. Rigby, is this a good film? Uh, I haven't seen it, actually. No, so can't be that good. You got to understand, Woody Allen has literally a movie every year. So it's like there's definitely there's there's like 10 or 15 that I've never seen. And this is one of them. Okay. 2004, that movie that we mentioned earlier, Sleepover, it was a big cult hit. He sounds like he played a, a security guard named Sherman in it, so his role wasn't big in that, but apparently it was huge at the time. And it's, if I had to regret one thing I didn't watch for this episode, it was this this movie, because apparently people love it. You're better off watching Sleepaway Camp. Is that bad? Sleepaway Camp, it just has one of the one of the most famous uh, twist endings in Hollywood history. That's all I'll say. I was hoping it was a skin of Max. <laughs> Go look it up if you're, uh, if you're interested. And then Anchorman, the legend of Ron Burgundy, plays Brick Tamlin. Uh, alongside Christina Applegate. And Brick is a legendary idiot. <laughs> One I will always remember because of Steve Carell. Yeah. I don't love this role. You don't love the role? No. I think he's far too talented. And, and I know that's the irony of it, right? I love the movie, and I, I actually love the character. I, I, I just wish he weren't being wasted in that role. I'm with you. I, of his like sidekicks, like of David Koechner, of Paul Rudd, and Steve Carell, even though like he probably has the most like memorable moments of, of the movie out of mm-hmm. those three, I think he's my least favorite as well. Just because I love Paul Rudd in this movie. He's my favorite sort of sidekick of his. What's the cologne that... Paul Rudd puts on Sex Panther. Sex Panther. That's right. What's the percentages? Sixty percent of the time, it works every time. <laughs> <laughs> he he has the the whole pants party uh, dialogue, which is really funny. Are you inviting me to a party in your pants? Yes, pants party. <laughs> but loud noises, right? Like, why are we yelling? He's. It's a lot of just dumb one-liners. But it's an interesting point, Case. You think he's wasted in this? I wonder. When this was filmed, was this filmed before Bruce Almighty? Did he sign under this before he kind of clicked? I, I I bet he was taking any position he could take at that time. Because if you look at the lineup of films, he probably signed up to four or five films all at once, and they fit in within it, yeah. his uh, film schedule. But he was still, at that point, trying to... You know, make his career much better than it probably was at the time. Yeah, that's a fair point. And the beauty of this is that Anchorman turned out you know, to be a movie that they would make a sequel for. So yeah. you know, it's just kind of there for him. That's true, yeah. He's a, he's a bona fide comedy lead these days and has been for a long time. But back then, he wasn't getting those roles yet. He was still a supporting character in comedies. That changes pretty quickly. It's a small window because that changes very quickly, as we'll see here in a moment. I'd like to enter a new game into the month, the Munson's uh, podcast world, which is which classic movie 
do I absolutely does Aubrey absolutely hate? <laughs> any any comedy with Will Ferrell? We've already established that. <laughs> I'm guessing this is the movies. <laughs> I hate this movie. There were two. I were like I was concerned about rewatching, but I purposely rewatched because I'm like I maybe I'm being unfair. I I hate this movie. Why do you hate Baxter? Baxter's a dog that can talk. I was about to say, is it because Baxter got punted that you're not a fan? Are you in a glass case of emotion right now? Are you? I'm not gonna lie to you. That's one of the few times. One of the few times I laughed out loud. That's how I roll. <laughs> you just thrash my chopper, Brozif. <laughs> The only thing that I'll add about this movie that's remarkable is there were so many outtakes for this movie. They were able to make a short film on on the side of this, Mm -hmm. which is crazy how much content they had. I think this defines this generation's movies where improv had moved to the point where they were just filming scenes over and over and over and over again to see if they could get a one-liner that would be better than the others and piecing them together. Yeah. It's, it certainly wasn't like a comedy would have been written in the 70s or the 80s. It was just, it was different. Yeah. The next year, he joined Michael Caine as Uncle Arthur in Bewitched, 2005. And then a film that I associate every time I think of Steve Carell, and that is his lead role as Andy in 40-Year-Old Virgin, also a writer on that, that film. Uh, honestly shocked we haven't talked about in 90 episodes to be completely honest yeah hey andy you gonna get some punani (laughs) (laughs) this is a very quotable film probably another one of those ones where you probably get annoyed by how quotable it actually is but this is like a staple for me and my friends groups growing up romany melko kills me in this film every single time he's great oh he's awesome paul rudd's great wasn't jane lynch in this jane lynch she's the boss yeah yeah. One of my favorite scenes is when he's uh they're playing poker and he's trying to like describe the fir- or trying to describe like what a, a girl's uh breast feels like and he's like it feels like a bag of sand. <laughs> Wait, are you a virgin? And they're all like bag of sand. <laughs> bag of sand. And then I I love the I love when he's like laughing in bed he's like oh those guys aren't going to remember anything and then they, they flash forward to the next morning he's like this is going to be bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so funny. And, and going back to the improv, when they're waxing his, his chest, yeah. the characters have to exit the room because they're laughing. They, they're, they're trying their best to stay within character. Well, he was legitimately waxing, getting waxed, too. It wasn't, mm-hmm. That wasn't fake yeah. at all. You could see the blood, blood coming from his chest. Yeah. blood. Guys, this is not a good look for me. That is great. He's a manimal. You have to plant it. Plant it with your finger. He is the perfect cast for this role. Um, just like the dorky. He's like, I, I have, I do plenty of uh, important things. And it shows him like playing video games and marching, marching with his playing his, uh, his trombone in, the, in his, in his uh, underwear. It's so funny. <laughs> get some fucking, get some fucking French toast. Like, like every Judd Apatow movie, I will say this movie is about 20 minutes too long. Oh, sure. It kind of loses me like three-fourths the way through. Usually right where that stretch in between the second and third act, right about where his movies all do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Certainly the male demographic enjoyed this film quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. The scene where Kevin Hart comes in and the Kevin Hart interaction, forever one of my favorite comedic moments <laughs> ever. Yeah. 
aim high with us. Aim high. <laughs> Y'all smart tech. We can circle back and play our game now. Which classic movie does Aubrey hate? You hate 40-year-old version? This was the second movie that I came into. The first time I watched it a while ago, I hated this movie. I was like, wow. I, don't get it. I don't know what's going on here. And, uh, this is the last movie I watched. I watched this right before we got on. This movie's awesome. Oh, okay. Good. Oh, thank goodness. This movie's thank awesome. Goodness. I love this movie. Romney is one of the reasons why I really love this movie. He's he's subverting some real like some real subtle expectations for that type of character. Being like he's like the black friend type thing. And he does some stuff with that that I think is really interesting. Because everything he says doesn't fit in with the group of people he's talking to. <laughs> At first, I found it odd, but it's obviously deliberate, and it's brilliant. It just be, He's just in a different movie, talking to different people, and it makes it so funny. I will say that the Steve Carell part of it is like, there's an earnestness to him in this. Mm-hmm. I think kind of comes to find him as an actor all the way through. Agree. I think that's why it really works, outside of it just being really funny. There's an earnestness that he gives that works really well. There's a genuineness. Yes, I think you agree. I agree with you. His characters in general have a very uh, a believability to them. He's a much deeper actor than... Not really the butt of the joke. Not like, that's really smart. Nah, the supporting cast is great in that film, too. And so, it, like, Catherine Keener, as his love interest, works really well. Elizabeth Banks mm-hmm. is the horny chick who loves her vibrators, works really well. Like, they, they pick some really fun actors to play some of those characters. Bag of sand. <laughs> Seth Rogen, I mean, he's a perfect cast, too. Seth Rogen is hilarious in this. And the uncredited roles are big names, too. Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. <laughs> the Jonah Hill scene, I just want to get these shoes. You're just making it really difficult for me to get these shoes. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what you're doing you're putting the pussy on the pedestal what is that this is the second time i've heard that <laughs> well speaking of iconic roles that will forever be tied to uh to steve Carell, 2005 was apparently the year for him because the office michael scott 139 episodes over a nine-year period one of the more popular shows in American culture the past 20 years and continues to be one of the more popular shows. And a lot of it is because of his character. I looked it up because I, I, I'm not familiar with this show. <laughs> and, uh, he played Prison Mike, right? <laughs> Amongst other characters. Of many others. Yes, of many That's others. Yep. Prison, Prison Mike. Ghoul. <laughs> Ghoul sandwiches. This is a unique one for me uh, in reviewing him because it's kind of similar to Brian Cranston in that go no matter where it goes from here, he'll always be known for this role. It's almost like if we did James Gandolfini. Yep. Um, he would all, only be known for The Sopranos. I shouldn't say only be known, but he would most most be known for that. Yes. Uh, to, truth be told, I'm not the biggest Office fan, but I can respect the status that Steve Carell has reached because of that show. I mean... The, the office is like it's that's like it's a staple it's a staple yeah i mean if it's it, the show that i know most of my, most of my friends just watch on background it's like seinfeld for me like when i'm having a bad day i'll turn on seinfeld like nine out of ten of my friends it's the office so you have to respect steve carell for the for the name that he made himself through this show for sure i think it benefited because streaming came online mm-hmm. sort of in, in the middle of that and so when it was showing on netflix 
my children, who you know were too young to watch it when it was coming on originally, certainly watched it over and over and over. Yeah, and I think you just hit it right. That that propelled it to a different level. Absolutely. And what's interesting about this show, and especially Steve Carell's character, is he is beloved by like I know like teenage kids who love his character, mm-hmm. and like eighty year old men who love his character. So like the fact that he cuts across such a wide base and they all find him to be the funniest character in the show is saying something about his performance and um, the longevity of this show. Because yeah, I mean this, you know, like, like any show made back then, they probably couldn't say or do a lot of the stuff they do now on TV, mm-hmm. but people still find it hilarious. It, that says something about, about their sense of humor. Cause Creed is by far the funniest character in the show. And anybody says otherwise yeah. is lying to themselves. <laughs> I'm actually a bigger fan in the in the original part of it of the British. Sure, Brad. It's always one. Yeah. The whole time we've been preparing for this episode, I was trying to think of an actor to better play Ricky Gervais's role. And I can't do it. I mean Well, Ricky Gervais is probably the funniest person on the face of the earth. So that's that's tough, but yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, like, so like Steve Carell is the perfect actor to take on this role. And, and you know, Aubrey talked about, you know, his earnestness and his genuineness. I mean, he comes off very aloof and harmless. Mm-hmm. He's just out of touch. But, you know, like, this guy's harmless, even though yeah. he says the worst shit and he does the worst things. But he's still adorable <laughs> because, you know, he's harmless. Yeah, but, but harmless though. Case, look what he did to the perspective and PR for <laughs> HR uh, professionals. He destroyed an entire fucking industry. No one, won, no one liked him. But he saved CPR. So <laughs> go with that. I'm, I'm going to go back to this part with David Brent, which is Ricky Gervais's character, and Michael Scott, which is you know Steve Carell's character. These are different characters. They originally, I mean, Michael Scott. Like, uh, played his character like Ricky Gervais played David Brent, who was a little more sinister, maybe conniving a little bit. Yeah, they softened that role for him to fit yeah. Steve Carell's personality. I was just about to say this. Oh, there we go. Look at this. Yeah, well, high five right there. Unity. Unity. Maybe <laughs> you're the only one left. I think is interesting because if I have my office history correct. The show kind of was saved by him being in the 40-year-old virgin in that, show, in that movie being successful. So the earnestness of that role. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like The first season came out, I think, before the 40-year-old virgin was released. And then it was released. And then they kind of went with the second season because of that. Probably. That earnestness of that role that he played there shows up in the second season. He's harmless. He's saying things that are out of touch. But like realistically... He is just like a representation of like everyone's inner desire to be liked. Mm-hmm. He's just that all the time. So you can never really be that mad. No matter how mad he makes you, you can't be that mad because you just don't feel sorry for him, but you understand him. Yeah. And that's a trick that I just, I don't think anybody else could play. Like, I think when you say that hard, you say that nobody else could have taken this role. I think a lot of times with classic television roles, we have a hard time seeing someone else do the thing. And there's also the rare occasion of like, 
oh, this was fate. Like, he had to do this because there is literally yeah. no... Like, Amy Poehler couldn't do it because the beginning of Parks and Rec, she's trying to do a similar thing. And they had to change that because she couldn't even do it. Mm-hmm. The episode where the bird dies in season two, and he's wrestling with that because it's his own, like, mortality and his own loneliness and being alone. It's brilliant acting. Mm-hmm. It's like holding in a cry office sings this ridiculous song around him like it's really solid <laughs> acting and it's just one of those things where like you look back at it and you're like well, this was right in front of us the entire time and we had no idea this guy's always been this brilliant and the thing his character also does is he cares so much about his people yeah yeah and he does inappropriate shit that's why he hates toby and him why are you the way you are but he he cares so much and wants to be friends with them that at the end of the day you understand where he's coming from when he's doing it great point he genuinely loves them yep birthday thing when his in the survivor man episode he's just out there no one asked him he's just like it's creed's birthday today it's stuff like that that really makes that show hit another level I think it'll resonate forever. I mean, I have hot takes that would be an interesting conversation for another day. I think it'll resonate forever because of that. Because it touches all the quadrants. It just makes me laugh that based on that last point Aubrey just made up, this gentleman's career possibly was saved by a movie titled The 40-Year-Old Virgin. That's what she I said. That. I think it was. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was. Also, not, not for nothing. His show changed when he left. It was bad. It was, it was very bad when he left. I mean, Robert California, it's just not not great. I hope you guys heard what Chip said, because that was fucking did, hilarious. Was I, did, was I missed it. What do you I say, did, Chip? He just snuck in it. That's what she said. Oh, smart. Good. Good, good. That is, that is, that is gold. All right, well, next year, 2006, his first voice role, I believe, was in Over the Hedge. He played Sammy the Squirrel alongside Allison Janney. So, but again, a sneak preview of some other big voice roles that are going to come down the pipe eventually. Hasn't he already been crushing the voiceover roles? According to Chip, get, he has been. In big, in big films, let's say that. First, <laughs> first big film voice role. Yes, he was narrating... Um, Outlaw Golf. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Volleyball and golf <laughs> battles. It's a fair point. Fair point. James not being here, I'm sad. But when James or one of you can't make it, I usually have to pick up a review. And I just hope it's a good one. And in this case, the highest critic score is Little Miss Sunshine. He plays Frank, and I fucking love Little Miss Sunshine. So it was a delight to be able to pick this up yesterday and watch this and actually provide a, a review on the film. Kyle, it makes me laugh because, if I'm not mistaken... James has been on a run of shitty movies. <laughs> <laughs> episode he's not here to record. It's Little Miss Sunshine. <laughs> That's what you get for going back to the motherland. I last saw this for our Tony Collette episode, because Tony Collette is in, the, is in this film as well. Like five years to make, indie film, but it was nominated for four Oscars, and it won two. Alan Arkin won for Best Supporting Actor, and it won a Writing Oscar. Having rewatched this with a little bit more of a fine-tooth comb, I think the, the thing that is most glaring as to why it works so well is it is perfectly cast. Every role in this film, the actors were chosen very meticulously, and boy, they nail it. So you've got Steve Carell playing you know, the brother who had just committed suicide and is recovering 
again, you see him do something a little bit different here, right? He's not funny. I mean, there are moments where he's funny, morbidly funny, but for the most part, he's playing it pretty straight. But Paul Dano as the intentionally mute uh, son who is is not rebelling against the world and hates everyone works really well. Um, Alan Arkin's fire. He won the Oscar for a reason because he is so funny when he's fuck all the women. Don't just fuck one woman. Fuck all the women. <laughs> he's in the movie for what? 30% of it and then he dies. Spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen it yet. Uh, you're welcome. Um, Greg Kinnear plays the overbearing dad and plays it pretty well. Yeah, uh, That matches his personality as an actor. Tony Collette as the mom who's overprotective, who's kind of a little bit zany. That works. And Abigail Breslin is the little girl wearing her little her little like bodysuit and being this lovable, wants to be in the pageant, knows she's not a beauty queen, but loves and enjoys every moment. It's just perfect. Even Brian Cranston in his brief appearance works really well in the film. So I guess this is the third time we've talked it. But for those who haven't seen it, the story is around this wacky family who would agree to go on a road trip to California for their daughter to compete in the Little Miss Sunshine pageant. They live in right by Albuquerque, New Mexico. So they go on a road trip. Um, Corral plays Uncle Frank, Colette's brother who suffered a suicide attempt. Um, <laughs> his overgrown beard and general just not caring attitude fits the character in the story pretty well. Literally, his first scene is him like staring uh, in general malaise at the at off the camera because fell in love and that person uh, fell in love with his competitor for this random <laughs> author that he studies and knows everything about. So I thought the most interesting part about learning about this film in the background, do you guys know who the original choices were for Carell's role in this film? No. He was the third choice. Original choices were Bill Murray and Robin Williams. Interesting. Robin Williams would have been great. Mm-hmm. I think all three would have been good. So I'm not, I'm not mad about it at all, but I'm glad. You can see that lineage, though. I mean, of who, who, what they were going for. Mm-hmm. And Corral, along with the other two actors, fit that pretty well. Yeah. Well, I love that Steve Carell, Robin Williams comparison. They're both mammals. God, that's a great one. That helps me with my Munson meter. There you go. Thank you. I prefer Robin Williams over Bill Murray for that choice because this role required to be a little bit more straight. And Bill Murray, I think, would mm-hmm. struggle playing it pretty straight. Mm-hmm. Williams and Carell can do that. So I think that's a, it's a good comparison to talk about kind of their acting chops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's inspired casting. Mm-hmm. Doesn't show that he has this at that time. No. At this level, it's really inspired to see that. And he kills it. He's so good in this. Mm-hmm. It's all just subtle in the face. Like, I'm not going to tell you a lot, but I'm just going to pack all this emotion right behind my eyes, right underneath the surface of like this, like disarming kind of smile and demeanor is just a world of emotion. Rewatching it, that's what struck me the most. I love Steve Carell, and I underrated his ability to do that, mm-hmm. to really just portray that much emotion so subtly. The way that I think should always be described with this movie is how you described it. I, I fucking love Little Miss Sunshine. Like That's just the way. Mm-hmm. When it comes up, that's the answer. It's an amazing movie. Never gets old. Every single time. It's, it's so endearing as a film. I, it was a pleasure to rewatch this and, and to do a review. If I'm going to come out of mini-retirement, it should be a good one. Mm. Thank you, James. Um, okay, well, let's keep it cruising. Um, so 2006, so we've got a bunch of films before our next review in 2014. So we've got Evan Almighty, the Bruce Almighty uh, sequel where Evan Baxter 
Carell's character now becomes the main focal point of the story. Morgan Freeman is back. He has to build an arc and the world thinks he's crazy because he's the only one talking to God. But again, now he's at the center of the story. So I don't know we need to talk much about the film other than they felt like, hey, this character and this actor can can really be the, the linchpin of this particular story, this follow-up to the original, which I think is important. And this might be a cash-in because of all the success he had. You know, he had a bunch of movies, and then all of a sudden you get success, and they're like, well, you know, we've got this character. Mm-hmm. Let's make another movie, and, you know, it's, there's a good chance it'll be a hit. Works as like a family film. I've never seen this movie. Well, God loves him. <laughs> you're not missing a ton it works as like a family film it doesn't really make any sense like the reason he has to build the arc is kind of stupid mm-hmm. it mostly doesn't work he makes it work because he's really charming mm-hmm. it's kind of fun seeing him do a thing the movie doesn't really work all that well it's i mean wanda sykes is a national treasure we should talk about that a lot more <laughs> <laughs> he's a national treasure agreed and there's very few times i don't i don't watch a lot of comedies and laugh out loud i'm more of i kind of watch them and i enjoy them and I, I have like a a good time with them but i'm not a laugh out loud person she had a laugh out loud line he come he's growing all this hair and he grows his beard and he goes into this office this congressman and he's he says something he's like i did something and she's like did you fall in a mine shaft <laughs> I lost it. <laughs> Wanda Sykes is amazing, and she needs to be in everything. Yeah, that's my takeaway. That's the review of this movie. Wanda Sykes is amazing. <laughs> she just spits one-liners the entire time she's on screen. She's the greatest. Same year, he's plays Dan and Dan in real life alongside Emily Blunt, a, a film where he and Julia Benoche, right? Is that how I pronounce it? Oh, he's battling it out with his brother, played by Dane Cook, for Juliet Benoche. And it's a, it's a decent film. I don't I don't mind Dan in real life. It's not my favorite Steve Carell role, but it's in the similar vein of Forty Old Virgin, where he's kind of slightly pathetic and mm-hmm. has to kind of figure this out. You pulling that comparison makes me want to watch this movie because the first time I watched it, I didn't like it at all. <laughs> so now I guess keep, keep your expectations here. Don't don't go too high. <laughs> I think Julia Binoche is one of the greatest actors I've ever seen in my entire life. So I'm here for literally anything that she does. Yeah, she's awesome. <laughs> so like that's I think that's why I watched it the first time. This is when Dan Cook was like the flavor of the flavor of the week or flavor of the month. He was a big deal back then. And his character is very straight. He's not comedic in in the slightest in this movie, which is a little off putting when you watch it too, because you keep expecting him to do something zany, mm-hmm. and he doesn't at any point. Yeah. He's just really mad at his brother for uh, cucking him. <laughs> That's basically how it goes. And then another big animated voice role, Horton Hears a Who. He played the mayor of Whoville, another one alongside Jim Carrey. A lot of crossovers with Jim Carrey there in the 2000s. In the 2008, he played Max in Get Smart. Sort of like Mission Impossible. <laughs> he plays the Tom Cruise character. There you go. <laughs> My love for Mission Impossible will not allow that to stand even as a joke. This movie sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen Get Smart, so I got nothing for you. Yeah, it's it's got a lot of potential. I remember liking it at the time, but it doesn't hold up. Kind of like an Inspector Gadget. Great comparison. Mm-hmm. It's kind of this is kind of like that uh, Owen Wilson movie I Spy. It's like a famous show from the sixties that they tried to make into like a summer blockbuster, and it just didn't work. Everyone's going to love it. A great comparison. <laughs> it's probably better than I Spy, but that's just me. It's not because it doesn't have Eddie Murphy. 
We have to identify the I spy for every resume going forward of everybody else we cover. That's important. So the game is... I'll tell you what I spy. I spied me not mentioning the Willennium, and that's disappointing after 90 episodes. But you still got it. The one thing I'd add about this that stood out to me was punching in my numbers. I was surprised at how early in his career he's got producing and writing credits. So he's an executive producer on this. And we also missed that he was an executive producer and writer on The 40-Year-Old Virgin. But it makes sense, right? Because he had spent so many years doing TV, writing, comedy, that it would, as soon as you start to get invited to these pictures, they, you know, they knew he had the talent to be able to do it. So it makes sense. Yeah. It's the Judd Apatow thing, though, isn't it? Work with, like, a really talented comedic person, help them make their movie, put them in it, send mm-hmm. them on their way. That's, that's the thing, isn't it? Started with him, I guess. You guys can say whatever you want about this movie. It made $231 million. So. Anne Hathaway. I said it worked at the time. I liked it at the time. My second least favorite movie I watched here. There you go. Can't wait to get to number one. Oh, it was Anchorman. I already passed it. Let's circle back. <laughs> 2009 is when he purchased Marshfield Hills General Store in Massachusetts. Still running it to this day. So 14 years later. Very cool. Pretty cool. Love that. Um, worth at least a bonus point on the Munson meter, I think. 2010, the big moneymaker that turned into more moneymakers, Despicable Me, played Gru, and has been in, like, five films now at this point, I feel like. Now that the Minions have their own little universe, and then you've got young Gru. I don't think he's in the first Minions movie. He's in the second Minions movie. He said he tested out a bunch of voices and went with the one that made his kids laugh the most, and that's the voice he used for Gru. Good test audience. This movie is good. Mm-hmm. This first one is legitimately good. It's like it's got a lot of heart to it. It's very clever. It can like the way they d- lean into the villain stuff and build that world out is really funny. It does a tricky balance of making like a group competent while also being incompetent. Mm-hmm. He's like a terrible villain, but he's also kind of a genius. Like it's weird. It's I think the first movie strikes a perfect balance, and I think it's like full stop great. As they usually do, they just get worse each time. Yeah. Savage at best. Yeah. Money makers. It may have made Illumination Entertainment, right? Because mm-hmm. Shrek was DreamWorks. Mm-hmm. Illumination is the Minions. And, you know, Disney has Pixar and, and, you know, whatever franchises they have at the time. So, I mean, it makes sense that Corel would be a voice actor for these type things. And what do we all wish? We wish to have a lifetime product that um, all of a sudden they call you in for the next 25 years to, to be the voice actor for. I mean, how lucky would that be? Just pour the money bag out in front of you. Roll after roll. And to bring this back, bring this back to earlier Munson's episodes, he also does the voiceover for the ride at Universal. There you go. Mm. The ride is, <laughs> ride is... It counts as a film role, right? In the in the months and it's on I it's probably on I think it's on IMDb. <laughs> he works every day. What a relief for him because now he doesn't have to worry as much about the rent on his general store in Massachusetts. <laughs> That's a good point. Property taxes are crazy there. He could probably get a new Hyundai with that. <laughs> Damn, these things are fast. He can uh, he can sell his eggs at a very low price when you're making residuals off the Minions franchise. So. Shout out to everybody in the Marshfield Hills area. You're probably getting pretty cheap produce. But let's not forget, as good as he is, he's definitely riding the coattails. That's all Minion stuff. Mm-hmm. 
people's minions. I don't know what it is. They're, they've just taken over the world. And that's why that's why he's done it. He could have been a smart. Illumination. <laughs> <laughs> really good. 2010's hit, and he's in Dinner for Schmucks. He plays Barry, a film with Chris and Shaw. He's in the, some of the early scenes of the film. He plays a bumbling idiot who gets invited to Paul Rudd's little dinners where they make fun of them, and he creates little worlds out of dead mice. And it's not a good film. It's not. I watched it at the time. It's not a good film, but I very clearly and distinctly remember his character because he is... He is awesome. He 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 makes the movie, in my opinion. I, I find this movie to be not re- really good at all, um, but without Steve Carell, it would be... It would be painful to watch. It's Steve Carell and Jermaine Clement's characters that make me laugh. But other than that, it's a pretty disrespectful film. Top to bottom. Oh, and then Chris O'Dowd's in this too. Chris O'Dowd plays the blind fencer as yeah, well. Yep. So. I thought we talked about this in a previous episode. Yeah. He, O'Dowd's character is pretty entertaining too. I don't think this is a movie he looks back terribly proud of in terms of no. some of the takes it has. But he is very entertaining in the film. Crazy Stupid Love, 2011, he played Cal alongside his uh, his like favorite actor, Ryan Gosling. He said if he could pick anybody to play him in his life, he'd pick Ryan Gosling. He said it would be a terrible cast, but he would love it and his wife would love it. So <laughs> I always say the same thing about myself, so I guess he and I got a lot in common. Two things. I love, I, I like Crazy Stupid Love. I love Steve Carell's performance. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the chemistry between he and Gosling is great. Like the... Uh, suave you know he can pick up any girl and and he's trying to pick up um he's trying to get steve carell back on his feet after he finds out his wife's cheating on him um it's it's a great sort of uh chemistry between those two there's two movies i really wish i would have been able to rewatch for this and this is one of them you would have enjoyed it i've seen it one time only i didn't love it but i've been told that i really need to watch it again so this was one I was disappointed not to get to this one. Julianne Moore, Emma Stone, right? Mm-hmm. Great cast. I should love yep. this movie. Mm-hmm. Marissa Tomei. Yeah, I should love this one. Did we skip Date Night? We did. Date Night's so awesome. <laughs> I love Tina Fey. As you guys were going through that cast, I'm like, man, he also did another movie with somebody I really like, and that's that was Tina Fey. I love Tina Fey. I do too. Yeah, it was 2010, same year. Yep. He's in a lot of good films to that to that point, like. It's almost like you got to pick and choose some of them to talk about because he's in a lot of really fun, like, good comedies. Yeah. Uh, 2012 does an episode of The Simpsons. He does, he joins Jim Carrey again in the incredible Burt Wonderstone. He plays Burt, like the establishment magician who is th- feels threatened by Jim Carrey's street Chris Angel magician concept. <laughs> Dumb movie. This movie could have been a lot better. Yes. It's- I remember being disappointed in this. Mm-hmm. It's a hilarious concept, and, it and is. Jim Carrey and Steve Carell, boy, bad writing, I bet you. Yeah. Despicable Me 2, 2013, and then a movie that, if you're in, I'm giving you bonus points no matter what, because it's one of my favorite movies we watch on this episode, this podcast, The Way Way Back. He plays Trent alongside Tony Collette, Allison Janney, Sam Rockwell, and Maya Rudolph, a film that... Mm-hmm. Never gets old. It's incredible. Yeah. I love this movie. And this was the second movie I wanted to rewatch and I wasn't able to. <sighs> I've only seen it one time and it was years ago. And I love this movie. Very underrated. 
It's so good. Sam Rockwell is on a different planet in this film, being kind of that sassy, runs the park, mentoring this young kid. And Steve Carell is a, a literal douchebag. He's a big old turd in this film. <laughs> he sucks. <laughs> that scene where he and T- Tony Collette are like playing Candyland with their son, and they have very different versions of how the rules work, show you everything you need to know about his character. But if you haven't seen The Way Way Back, go watch it. You will not be disappointed, and you will be thankful that you watched that film because it is phenomenal. Funny, serious, great coming-of-age story about a kid who works at a water park for a summer. And then Venmo Kyle, $5 for the recommendation. Fuck yeah, for that money you're going to have to spend because it's not streaming for free. <laughs> Anchorman 2, The Legend Continues, the, uh, the sequel there with James Marsden and Christina Applegate in 2013. I was just gonna say this. This one sucks. There's a fight scene. I like. I love the love the original, but the 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 Anchorman sequel. I've never been a fan of. Just forced. Didn't need to happen. Not funny. There are two rules: no touching of the hair, and that's it. <laughs> of course. I just I just never forget Ben Stiller going. Of course. Of course. <laughs> no touching of the hair or face. Of course. <laughs> the, the fight scene uh, at the park. That's that's all we need to watch. Because the second one has what Will Smith has James Marsden. It's got like a Spanish affiliate. It's got yeah. It's got yeah. And Canadian news with Jim Carrey. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Carving out eyes. (laughs) Okay, so largest critic gap twenty fourteen. That's going to be Foxcatcher. So we get to see some of the dramatic chops and uh, case has this one. Having the feeling that uh, this will be a good roundtable discussion of this movie. I'm going to keep it pretty short. Foxcatcher is a 2014, uh, I guess you'd call it a like a biography sports drama. It's directed by Bennett Miller, which could come in important in our discussion. It stars Steve Carell, Channing Tatum, and Mark Ruffalo. And the movie is essentially about the episode where John DuPont for all intents and purposes, is trying to hijack USA Wrestling and creating like a wrestling club at his farm or his estate where he is he's trying to basically reclaim USA dominance in wrestling. No, no, what he's trying to do is make Mother proud. That's really what the entire film is about. Which is an ironic take because she hates wrestling. Yes. Steve Carell is amazing in this movie. If you haven't seen the Netflix documentary about this, watch it in congruence with watching this movie. Either watch it before or after. Not at the same time. That would be awkward. But watch it so you, you kind of have a frame of reference. Because even though he's not as tall as John DuPont, it shocked me how accurately his expressions and his just his... He's either got no expression or like a very subtle expression to everything. And Steve Carell does an amazing job at that. The one criticism I have of this movie is I was aware of it, and I was pretty familiar with this story, because I have, I have some friends that were involved in collegiate wrestling, and, and they, they had told me about this. So I watched this movie when it first came out. After that, the Netflix documentary came out, and I, and I researched this more. And when this movie's described as being loosely based on this story, it's loosely based on this story. And the actual telling of this story, in my opinion, is not nearly as interesting as what really happened. And so, nonetheless, it's it's a 
Really good movie. Bennett Miller did take some heat as the director of this, both from Mark Schultz. This type of a movie is not normally a movie I enjoy because it's very flat emotionally. The tempo is very slow. But the one thing that this movie does really, really well is it's scored beautifully in that when it's going slow, the, the music is telling you what you're about to be experiencing. And I really enjoyed that. Mm. Overall, you know, great movie, and I really did enjoy it. As a fan of sport and a fan of history, I, I think the real story, it would have been a better, even better movie with the real story because the two stars of this that I think take this movie to another level are obviously Steve Carell and Mark Ruffalo. Very good movie. Certainly go watch it, but definitely watch the uh, other documentaries about this story. I shouldn't say I love this movie because it's so dark. It's like saying I like Schindler's List or 12 Years a Slave or something like that, where it's like, can you really be in love with a movie that's so dark and just at its soul? I The performances are what carries this movie for sure. Yeah. Um, Steve Carell is fantastic. He is super paranoid and just creepy. And I agree, Case, the music in this is really well done. The director of this movie, Bennett Miller, has one of the most fascinating careers. He directed Capote, which is a great movie, Moneyball, which is one of my favorite movie sports movies, mm-hmm. and Foxcatcher. And those three movies are all he's done. And all three of those movies are, are awesome. Absolutely. So I'm really interested, interested to see what he does next, if he does do a, a next movie. But, yeah, I mean, Carell deserved his Oscar nom for this. So did Ruffalo. Yeah, so did Ruffalo. Absolutely. Great transition. Shows his range and shows his talent. He can wear a prosthetic nose and you still know it's Steve Carell. Um, and yeah, he was, he was awesome. And the one point I made earlier about him being aloof and out of touch, but harmless, he throws that harmless part out and you can tell (laughs) he's aloof. He's out of touch. He's very eccentric, but you know, like he's got a dark side to him. Absolutely. Yeah. He's got a dark side. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah movies one big advertisement for why therapy is important and why you should talk to somebody yes because the dude wouldn't talk to anybody about how he wasn't getting his mother's approval and why i think it's so effective and why i think it's so good is because there there is this like menacing nature to him it's in tone out he's not even when he's like on screen or he shows up somewhere he's not intimidating in any other way than just his presence and the movie does a tremendous job of of bringing that forth. Yeah. But when he comes on screen, every the tension just goes right through the roof. That that is god level acting by Steve Carell. Agreed. And there's a good point. Is it that it doesn't look like it's acting? He looks like he's the character. That's his natural presence, as opposed to a person who looks like they're acting a scene. It's pretty cool to see somebody who started as a strictly a comedic actor then goes in and does something as heavy and dramatic as this and just nails it. So I think it goes to show like this guy's got major range, major range. I think what would be fun is to give a young person who just seen The Office this as a recommendation. Oh, you like Steve Carell? You like Michael Scott? Yeah. Watch Foxcatcher. What do you think about John DuPont? Then watch their head explode. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. I th- also think we'd be remiss. I think Chayna Tatum is brilliant in this movie. Mm-hmm. Very good. So The Big Short 2015 he plays Mark. A uh, fun rewatch for a really dark time of American history. Yeah. Well, like in a dark movie. Yeah, I-, I love The Big Short. Believe it or not, this is my favorite Steve Carell film performance. Oh, wow. He just plays this neurotic 
like smarter than you guy so well. Yeah. But he has like a very endearing side to him too. Like you he's like such a wise ass and like you don't wanna you don't wanna like be on his side, but you can't help but be on his side. He has like a very dark story in this. His brother had recently just committed suicide and the uh he and Christian Bale are like the leader of the uh of the renegades, basically the people who recognize that they could make money off people being idiots. So yeah, I love his performance in this. Love this movie. This is one of my favorite movies of the last ten years. This is based off the Michael Lewis book. And Michael Lewis also wrote Money and Ball and a lot of other uh, books. Oh, okay. He, they had really good source material to pull from. Yeah. And that's what made this so compelling. And if you compared it to the, the movie Dumb Money that just came out, the book just wasn't as strong as a Michael Lewis book. Yeah. And I think that played a, a big difference. In addition to this, this has an excellent cast. This is, has such a good cast. Yeah, I like Carell's character being like the ethical, one of the few guys who is in that world that isn't trying to screw people over necessarily, except for the people who are awful. Yeah. So I think that's why people sympathize with his character quite a bit. Yeah, and, and, and Adam McKay's style isn't really for everybody. I, I don't think it works very well. Works here, though. Works the best here. I was just going to say it works well in here with this story for sure. I don't think it works in Vice, and I don't think it works in Don't Look Up. But it works. It works perfectly for this movie and this story. Yeah. When he's like, "Hey, here's Margot Robbie to explain yeah. this," or "Here's here's oh, Anthony bro. Bourdain to explain this," or you know, uh, Selena Gomez at a at a craps table. Like, yeah, those are smart choices to get people's attention to break down what is seemingly complicated concepts. Yep. If I'm being honest, though, I had a I had a really hard time paying attention to the Margot Robbie explanation, but that's just me. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> the return to the Woody Allen side in Cafe Society alongside uh, Mark Zuckerberg. I mean, Jesse Eisenberg. I love this movie. Yeah, this is, a, this is, this is enjoyable. This is before all the Woody Allen stuff kind of hit the fan, too. So it's, it was a little easier to digest for people, I think, too. As someone who's not a, like a, a Woody Allen historian, I haven't seen a ton of his movies yet, all that kind of stuff. I love this movie for the simplicity of it. I love this movie. He wanted to capture a time and the the beauty and the wonder of that time. <laughs> I also think Kristen Stewart's a great actress and mm. she's really good in this. Corey Stoll's in it, another one of his his go-tos. With hair. So if you don't if you're not looking for him, you might miss him. <laughs> <laughs> Usually ball. And then Carell goes into like a kind of a manic role as Bobby Riggs in Battle of the Sexes 2017. Along um, these are the same directors who did uh, Little Miss Sunshine, and he and Emma Stone are in the titular roles here. And Bobby Riggs just had to be a really fun character to play as this like showman womanizer, like just going to work every day as Carell. He probably had a lot of fun. I do wonder what the way he was depicted, if he was actually a womanizer or if he just leaned into it because that's how he was going to get his back. I think these are great performances in an okay movie. Yeah, I saw a variety interview where they were t- they were interviewing Billie Jean King and she even said the day before he died, she talked to him over the phone and she was like trying to be sentimental. And what we went through was all about like gender equality. And he was like, no, it was about the money, Billy. Like it was all about the money. <laughs> we made some serious money. So I think it was pretty spot on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm a huge Billie Jean King fan. I think she's, I mean, she's an icon. She's, Aubrey uses the phrase American treasure. That's, that's Billie Jean King. 
I didn't love this movie, though. I thought Bobby Riggs was actually kind of a carnival act, and Billie Jean King was, like I said, an icon. And I, I just I thought this movie put them on the same level, and I didn't I didn't appreciate mm. that. And I think that's probably why the critics, you know, the critics were at eighty four percent, and the audience is only seventy one. I eagerly anticipated this movie. I thought the performances were great. I, I didn't have any problem with that, but it just as the story went, uh, he was definitely a womanizer, and and the the movie portrayed him relatively accurately. But I just think it cut. I think it undersold Billie Jean King. Like she whipped his ass. Yeah. <laughs> thought it did a great job though like this was a this was at the um houston astrodome yeah they really did a good job of of selling the event and and capturing that but i think they came short of billy jean king's greatness in this movie the eighth wonder of the world the astrodome Mm -hmm. and that's also where the uh the bad news bears won their championship (laughs) (laughs) this movie falls short in a lot of different places and one of them is that they're trying to accomplish so many different things. Yeah. They don't actually hit any of the marks. Mm-hmm. You don't really get an understanding for how great Billie Jean King is. You don't really get it. You don't really get an understanding of how like society was interacting with this event. Yeah. You don't even really get that. You don't get the stakes of the event. You don't really get too much of the event. Like there's just so much they're trying to do. And I think it's because like in part they see it as a Billie Jean King movie. Interesting. It's not just that. Yeah, agreed. Really good point. It becomes a lot better because the performances are dead on. So, so different but similar best of enemies where it was dealing with racism instead of uh, sexism. Um, I love that movie. But but you know, when you compare them, I think I think you just hit on something that, that there was there was maybe too much going on at the time, and they really didn't capture sort of the circus that was around it. And I, I think it's fair to say that, that um, you know, Billie Jean King is this incredible player and got dragged down to having to, to play an exhibition match. Right, 2017, uh, another reunion with Brian Cranston and Last Flag Flying also with uh, Lawrence Fishburne. I struggled with this one. Yeah, I saw it a few years ago. I wasn't compelled to rewatch it, to be honest. I mean, it's a Linklater movie, so it moves at that kind of pacing, kind of monotonous, just kind of things are just happening, and you're supposed to read a little bit more into it. The The best criticism I saw was like a snippet of a review that was just like, I don't believe these people were ever, ever friends, and because I don't believe they were ever friends, nothing is working here. You can't buy into it, yep. And that's dead-on criticism. Like, it's I don't believe that they were ever friends. Uh-huh. Rell's really after it. So he, I, I give him a lot of credit. He's really getting after it. Even though his main goal is just to be sad. Like, Brian Cranston's character is tough to watch. Because he's kind of the worst. <laughs> just like, why do you guys... Why are you putting up with this? I don't get it. Why did you ever like him? Like, it's it's a tough one. And then another ser- two back-to-back serious roles in Beautiful Boy played David with Timothy Chalamet. Great Corral performance. Good Timothy Chalamet performance. Oddly directed and edited movie. Timing is the timeline is muddled. I don't we don't really I don't really know what's happening at any time. And there's some themes that are working, but overall it, it all kind of gets lost in the sauce because Yeah, I never saw this one. I neither. Corell's worth it. I heard good things about Corell in this in this role. I just didn't find time for it, unfortunately. So lowest critic score is Welcome to Marwin. 
plays Mark slash Captain Hoagie. And Rigby drew this one. Uh, maybe a gem. We'll find out. It's not a gem. I will say that. <laughs> I've seen a lot worse movies that are in actors' lowest critic scores from what we've seen. This is a film by Robert Zemeckis. It's a part drama, part fantasy, part animated movie. Steve Carell plays a, uh, a gentleman who's just been through like a terrible beating. He gets drunk one night and admits that he likes to wear women's shoes uh and wrongly he says that in front of a couple of white supremacists in a bar and they they obviously hear that and don't take too kind to it so they beat him up he's in a coma um he basically has a mix of um amnesia and ptsd and he's lucky to be alive i'll say that and basically unable to afford therapy he finds a way to cope um and get on with his life and that is by building a pretty much a dream world with dolls the world he builds is like a pre-world war ii setting based in belgium um so it has like these interesting little characters in it and half the movie is actually what steve carell's character imagines is happening in this world when when those scenes are shown they are shown by animated dolls they, it is a if you're into like special effects i would highly recommend this movie because it's one of the cooler movies i've seen in terms of just like original what they thought of when they were making this movie um and these characters was was really cool i mean steve carell they they make his character as a like a little miniature doll look exactly like steve carell in real life so it was i was blown away by the special effects on it that being said the movie is not I don't want to say you don't know what they're trying to do here because you do, but it's not as it's not as big a tearjerker as I think that they were trying to do. Obviously, you sympathize for the guy because he his life was almost ruined by these by this terrible act, and he found a way to get back on his feet by by building this world that that made him cope. There's actually a documentary that came out in 2010 that's a really famous documentary about this story. I think it's probably better in that format as opposed to a a full feature film. I would. I, I kind of remember this movie coming out, and I forgot how much of a box office bomb it was, which is very rare for Zemeckis. I mean, this is the guy who's done Forrest Gump and Polar Express and a, a lot of popular movies. And I don't know. It, this one just didn't really work, I don't think, for audiences and, and critics. It's a beautifully shot film. Like I said, the special effects are cool. Carell is, you know, he gives a pretty a pretty tender performance, but... Probably not the best on his resume, for sure. Yeah, Curly Sue is technically the lowest critic score, but first TV movie role of all time, and I'm sure it wouldn't have qualified. So, Yeah. I saw it in theaters, and I I remember not hating it, because it, it was getting trashed when it came out. It got trashed, yeah. I mean, it's a 34 critic, I think, and yeah, yeah. I think it made like... Thirteen million. I want to say it. I want to say it cost thirteen. Yeah, and I think the budget was like fifty or sixty. So yeah, it was a bomb for sure. <laughs> yeah. If you're uh, bored and you want to see some cool special effects, just Google the movie on YouTube and watch some scenes with the with the dolls in it. It's really really cool what they do. Yeah. Um, I I found that to be the most redeeming part of the movie for sure. We don't need to spend a bunch of time talking about the lowest critic score because there's a few more spicy ones here before we wrap it up, anyways, including Vice. From 2018, alongside Tyler Perry, Sam Rockwell played Donald Rumsfeld. I'm not a fan of this movie. I hate Vice. Same. <laughs> this came out Christmas Day. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I remember I went to see it on Christmas Day. Same. I was hyped too. I was very disappointed. Uh, we think about his casting as Rumsfeld. It certainly didn't make Rumsfeld look like a good person. I think that was the goal, but... It's, I think he's doing a bit. I think a lot of what that movie is, is more more of like an impersonation than it is like an acting performance. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's probably more of what it is that he did. It's very big and showy from what I remember. I try not to watch Vice more more than I have to. <laughs> yeah, I think we talked about this in the Tyler Perry episode, didn't we? In that yeah. it was supposed to be this expose of like a controversial politician. It's like, meanwhile, Trump was in the White House and it's, it didn't really have the same bang that I think Adam McKay was expecting. No, I, I agree with that. Right about this time, he starts to make a shift to doing more television shows and some pretty big ones here. And so 2019, The Morning Show played Mitch alongside Gugu and Bathara. Was this the first big Apple TV plus TV show they hinged their everything on? It was. It was released. It was three other shows pretty much all at the same time. So it was the Dickinson show with Haley Steinfeld, the Space Race show. Mm-hmm. Ted Lasso. Yeah, uh, All for All Mankind. No, it was For All Mankind and C, the Jason Momoa show. Ted Lasso didn't come out yet. Okay. And they released all four of them like at the same time, and that's what launched Apple TV+. Plus. Incredible performance and an incredible character. There was a, a lot to unpack with him in this in this show. Isn't he like a sexual harasser type? Yep. It's an interesting balance that he has to try and walk. He's not fully aware of what so wrong about the, what he did yeah he's also not fully a monster correct and it's like his lack of self-awareness is what makes him i don't want to say what makes him more villainous but it's a part it plays in i guess his quote-unquote villainy and that balance is a hard one to strike because he's not like the worst offender to ever have done a thing. There's a little bit of nuance to it that he has to try to pull off, which I feel like is an impossible task to place at someone's feet. But he makes it work because of his in, of his inherent Steve Carellness. Yeah, I agree. Apple TV spares no expense. <laughs> God, three great uh, actors. I know this show was continued on, but I didn't watch it past his season, so I don't. Like I said, I enjoyed it. Him and, and his character in this role was an interesting, interesting watch. Well, speaking of uh, other shows that may be too much, I don't know. Space Force, 2020 to 2022, he's in 17 episodes as General Naird. Do we have any hot takes on Space Force? Uh, the show, not the military concept. <laughs> <laughs> we, I'll ask Jim from Film Rage if he has some thoughts on our, uh, our Space Force. I'm sure he would love to send something over. Our last review is Largest Audience Gap. And it's 2020's Irresistible. Uh, and this is Aubrey. Irresistible is a 2020 political comedy co-written and directed by Jon Stewart. Uh, after losing the 2016 election, the Democratic strategist, played by Steve Carell, travels to rural Wisconsin to convince an ex-Marine to run for mayor after a viral video. Innocuous setup quickly falls apart in a film that just isn't interesting in story or characters. It's not interested in using its story or characters. It's all ideas. While the ideas are good and I agree with them, they contain no bite because the characters aren't there. It's just kind of a movie that's ideology. It's all really irresistible is. It's ideology stretched across a thinly veiled plot with no stakes or substance to be found. Message is good, a bit utopian, 
based on how it kind of ends. It might be a little bit utopian in how you would look at this message, but it's still good. It's not enough to carry, uh, and that would to carry some through, but as a film, it falls short. Carell's Gary Zimmer is all over the place. Sometimes he's an asshole. Sometimes he's um, like an elitist. Sometimes he's charming. It's not really a, a full person. It's kind of just whatever the scene needs that character to be, he kind of is. I, don't, I wouldn't say that the character falls short is Carell's fault. It's more of a fault of the creation of the character. I think this movie is pretty bad, and I wouldn't really recommend it for any reason. So don't watch this. The 40 to 61, 40 critic, 61 audience. I'd give it lower than a 40. I don't do this often. This is one of the times where I would say reviews I saw of it are positive or even passing are just because they agree with the ideology. The idea works. or Whatever ideas that are very forefront and on the nose here is why people were like, oh, I'll give it a pass. About a few years ago, didn't love it. So I figured I'd let you do all the the hard work on this one. (laughs) I've seen this movie before this and completely forgot about it. I logged in a letterbox and was like, oh, wow. (laughs) All my thoughts were the same. So that's good to know. I'm consistent. Okay, last couple of projects we're going to mention before we get into top performances. We've got The Patient, played Alan, 10 episodes of that show from 2022. And he makes his appearance, first appearance in a Wes Anderson film in Asteroid City. He played the motel manager, one of the many, many different ensemble cast of characters in that film. I hope this happens more, because that's a, that's a great match. Wes Anderson, yeah. And being a Wes Anderson, mm-hmm. that's a great match. I looked up to see what my review of this movie was because I saw it in the summer and it was one of the ones that we were all waiting for to come out. Yeah, I put 60 out of 100. So, you know, if you wanted to compare it to what I uh, put, the dumb money at 45 out of 100, I I rated this much higher. Mm -hmm. So I like this film a lot. And you're right. What, he had a a mustache in it? Yep. He he ran this this crazy hotel and... um, they had a crazy event happen. He fits right in. He does. The, the zany cast of characters. So Bizarreness, yeah. All right, Rigby, we've reached the mountaintop, my friend. What do you got for top performances for us? I searched far and wide for a list of Steve Carell's best performances that didn't have the office number one. That's my hint. Unfortunately, that list does not exist. So number one is already taken. <laughs> um, <laughs> to take away all the drama... Obviously, we talked about his his notoriety as as Michael Scott. I think it's easy to easy to see why there is no list of top Steve Carell performances that doesn't have the office as number one. He will always be known for that role. So, yeah, if you made a Steve Carell list without the office being number one, you'd be an asshole. So that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll try our best to uh, recreate a number two through eight list. So this is Steve Carell's top performances. Eight through one, we already know number one, uh, but this is obviously TV and film, and it's from MovieWeb, and it's a list from February of 2022, so it was coinciding with uh, season two of Space Force coming out. All right. Foxcatcher, for sure, has to be on there. Yeah, Foxcatcher is number four. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Okay. 40-Old Virgin, low-hanging fruit. 40-Old Virgin is number eight. Ooh, just made it, okay. Barely made it, wow, okay. Yeah. You're going to go with Little Miss Sunshine. Little Miss Sunshine is number two. Yep, that was going to be my next guess. What about The Morning Show? Uh, the Morning Show is not on here. 
I'm going I'm to say the, the one of the Minions uh, films. Certainly, it's one of his iconic. Those are not on here, surprisingly. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Anchorman. Nope. More serious roles then? Uh, Big Short's probably on there then. Sure. Yeah, Big Short's number seven. Okay. We talk about it? We talked about all of them mm-hmm. that are on here, that are remaining. We need three. We need five. Crazy Stupid Love? That's what I was going to say. Yep. That's number five. Give me the way, way back. Nope. Battle of the Sexes? Yeah. Battle of the Sexes, number six. Okay, so we need, we need hmm. number three. And then the number three. Maybe it's Evan Almighty. Nope. No, no. Is it Vice? Nope. Last Flag Flying. Nope. Close around that time frame, though. Cafe Society? Nope. Beautiful Boy. Beautiful Boy, Aubrey. Nice work. Yeah, Beautiful Boy is number three. Okay, well, that validates Aubrey's statement about it. It's worth watching just for him. Okay, so top three were The Office. Number two was Little Miss Sunshine. Little Miss Sunshine. And then Beautiful Boy. Okay. Yep. All right, let's get into the Munsimeter. What we do, we rate every actor on a scale of 0 to 100 based on a variety of factors that could include anything from longevity, project choice, pop culture impact, acting range, awards footprint, any other talents they might have their personal life, comedic chops, box office success, and anything else that matters to us as Munsons. And this time we're going to start with Case. Well, I was shocked filling out his box office information and the amount of movies that I recognized. I think there was only one movie, Melinda and Melinda, that I had never heard of before. So the name recognition is through the roof with both him and his movies. The only other actor I can think of that picked as good of projects as he has was Mahershala Ali. And I think his range is incredible. I mean, the pure comedy roles that he can play on the other end of that spectrum, the pure drama that he can play. I think he's, in my opinion, one of our top 10 performers that we've looked at. Ooh, damn. And with that, I'm going to give him a 91. That is how you come out of the gate, baby. Now you got me... Questioning my score. <laughs> don't, don't do it. Don't do it. I know. Stick to your rubrics, Kyle. Yep. That's me. I do stick to the rubric, but I reserve the right to increase my points if everybody else is way higher than me. All right. So I'll start with this. He's in some of my favorite comedies of all time. Um, I think he's really good at situational awkward humor. And it's clear he's, he's done well on both the television and the film side. He hasn't done the theater side since he was a youngin. Um, and obviously started some of the improv pieces. So, mm-hmm. you know, some of those areas that like get you higher up, right? Like, yeah, he's produced, he's wrote a little bit, but hasn't done a, some of his own things there. For being a comedic genius on screen, he's also kind of a boring interview and he's kind of a boring person outside of it too. <laughs> like if you just watch his interviews, you're just like, I expected more from you, Steve, whereas others, but hey, at least he's not going out causing chaos. Foxcatcher shows his dramatic chops, so you know he's got it, and he's got all these other roles. So he's got a ton of range, more than people give him credit. Yeah. And he's got really iconic voice roles, too, so i got to give him credit there. It's hard to evalu- evaluate his longevity because he came in so late in terms of like age-wise, but he's been so busy since then that he scores well there. He's been nominated for a few major awards. We really didn't talk about his awards much, but he's never really won any major awards. He's been nominated for a few Emmys and not... But nothing that he doesn't want anything, so it's going to be a big hit. Um, but I will say this: I appreciate that one. He doesn't watch his own films, so I would do the same thing. I wouldn't 
watch the final result. He said, except if he was in Shawshank Redemption, because he loves that movie and he'll watch it anytime it's on. So that's worth at least an extra bonus point for me. <laughs> <laughs> and you just, I just can't ignore his Michael Scott, Andy, and the 40 year old virgin, and even Brick and Anchorman. Those are just three iconic roles that a lot of actors will be lucky to have one. And he's got three pretty much that are going to follow him everywhere he goes. Mm-hmm. And I want to rate him higher than I have, but I am a slave to my scale in ways. And so I'm right about the same area as I would with Mahershala. I think it's a good comparison. And Christoph Waltz, those guys have won Oscars. So that's the difference. Whereas he brings in some other pieces. So I'm going to give him a 79. Chip, our guest. All right. So I don't remember what I rated the other people that we uh, that reviewed, but I will. <laughs> you gave Andy McDowell a 33. I remember that. We'll never forget that. Early career. He was doing, uh, he was basically working on his skills did a lot of small projects. So he was a voiceover for you know SNL stuff and and worked in um, you know video games and all these other sort of areas because he was defend- I'm sure he was very dependable. He he has humor to him and stuff like that. He's an incredibly serviceable actor. Um, where you could pick Robin Williams, but you get maybe a little more over the top. You could pick I'm thinking more along the lines that yeah, Phil Hartman would be kind of where he he fits in mm-hmm. with ensemble pieces. Although he plays the lead, where Phil never played leads. I, I, I say seventy out of a hundred, and I think that he is incredibly talented. And I could see him having another ten, fifteen years of of comedy if he chooses to. He can pick and choose stuff at this point. Yeah, Aubrey. So I feel like every time I do this, I start by trying to explain how the Munson meter works for me. <laughs> but one of the things I love is that it's different for everybody. And for me, it just harkens back to like my hip hop roots. I was always arguing about who just the best rapper was. All Take all the other stuff away. Main art is who can do this thing the best. And that's my meter is I just am trying to find out who the best actors are. Just pound for pound on screen. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. With Carell, my... And the longer I thought about it, the higher his score went. Because I was like, he's got very showy range, but does he have like true range? Is he he's definitely doing the comedic and the dramatic, but are the characters different? Are the people different? Blah blah blah. And so at first I was like, no, he's not. Then you think about it. Yes, they are. Yeah. They're very different. Yeah. It's not just showy range. He is playing very different people that demand different things from him. Little Miss Sunshine is very different from Last Flag Flying, which is very different from Foxcatcher, which is different from Fortiel Virgin. Like he's doing all these different things. He's a lead, he's a supporting actor. He has iconic roles and characters that you can identify him with. He essentially created a television moment. Because The Office is a touch point in television history, and it's built around him. Yeah. He has Oscar-worthy performances. He has it all, really. I, I, can't, I can't see a thing where I'm just like, he, he hasn't done something that I would need him to do. He has a God-level performance. Like one, one differentiator for me is, like, can an actor, I believe an actor can give a performance like that, and have I seen it? And he's one of the few that I've seen it. Foxcatcher like all time great. He is a tremendous person to have on this list. And if I kept talking, my score would keep going higher. So I'm at I'm at an 88. 
respectful high score. I love it. All right, Rigby, round us out. Yeah, uh, good score, Aubrey. Uh, you'll find out why here shortly. <laughs> you said everything that I wanted to say. This is kind of like Brian Cranston for me. Like, I'm not a huge Breaking Bad fan. I'm not a huge Office fan, but I can recognize the pop culture significance that these people play in our society today. And there's something to be said about that. Um, and the fact that this guy's got range out the wazoo like you've seen if you see fox catcher you'll know exactly what i'm talking about um so he's gonna get the same score that you gave him aubrey for me he's gonna get an 88 as well did it rigby we closed the loop unity yep unity uh, uh, i saved it the best for unity. last well predicting that that was going to be the case i already had lined up to figure out where we were going to be and it's really interesting so that gives Steve Carell in 83.2, which puts him into a three-way tie for 15th place with Tony Collette and Laura Linney. Nice. Which I think is extremely fair. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. Very interesting. They're slightly behind Angelina Jolie and slightly above Gina Davis. That's the, f- the five there. So, solid score. Really solid score. Aubrey, what has he got coming? Uh, this isn't as exciting as I thought it would be. Despicable Me 4, let's get that one out of the way. Despicable Me 4 is coming out. I'm sure everyone's going to see it, and we're all going to love it. I mean that with the deepest sarcasm. <laughs> Imaginary Friends, another animated movie. Which I This is what I'll say. Most animated movies have great casts, so I'm not going to read off the long list of incredible actors that are in this. The thing that's most interesting to me about it is it's written and directed by John Krasinski. Yep. So that makes me more in on it because of that so mm, yeah imaginary friends is the title of that maybe it's supposed to be around may of next year despicable me is july of next year so there you go double dose of steve crow animation next summer the other four that i have are in development and they don't tell me anything other than the title which is the rabbit factor brooklyn family robinson euro style and the priority list don't have anything other than those titles so i hope that there's a lot more those are more interesting and they're probably and that some of them are smaller so they get made a little bit quicker because just the two animated the morning show would be is tough because i'm i'm very anxious to see what he's going to do as his career progresses he's becoming an empty nester so maybe he has more time now to do these things he could have a really interesting like older phase of his career Mm -hmm. yeah certainly certainly right well we'll see baby we'll see appreciate you aubrey next episode is our annual halloween episode and it's gonna land on october 26th it seems like every year it lands closer and closer to halloween which is nice this is my first halloween episode i'm so excited i know yeah you haven't been here for one of these before this is our our third one oh that's right just remember to dress up (laughs) that's how this is number four kyle oh yeah because treo treo is the first one yeah none of us none of us including john uh seem to remember that one so that, that's a good point, because Stephanie Malone of the Fear and Loathing podcast, she's coming back. She did Jamie Lee Curtis and Nev Campbell, but John Cohorn did our Danny Trejo episode the first time. So you're right. This is episode four. All right. So these are the five actors on the wheel. We kind of rinse and repeat. Whoever was selected, we keep the other four on. We add a new person in. So we've got Tony Todd, 
Bruce Campbell, Doug Jones, Sarah Michelle Geller, and Max von Sydow. At this point, Tony Todd and Bruce Campbell are the two who have been there the longest. They've been on there since the start and have not been selected by the wheel. So what are our thoughts? I mean, come on. There's no other choice besides Bruce Campbell. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to state a brand. Is, is Sarah Michelle Geller in any other horror movie, but I know what you did last summer or not? Scooby-Doo. Yeah, The Grudge. He's Buffy, man. Oh, Buffy. Yeah, duh. Duh. That's right. There's got to be some other little cheesy ones, some low-budget cheesy ones that she did. If you think doing being a coke addict is a horror concept, then she was great in Cruel Intentions. I was wondering where you <laughs> were going with that. <laughs> yeah. It's a horror for your nose, you know? That's That's all I can gather. I desperately want Doug Jones to be picked one of these days just because I want James to lose his fucking mind when he's trying to score the guy who's always in like a, a monster suit or a monster costume for every role he's ever been in. Spoiler alert, if we get Bruce Campbell, I'm giving him a hundred. So just just know that going into it. Last time he made a threat like this, he went through on it. I know. I will too. <laughs> I would be very excited by Bruce Campbell because I've I feel like I haven't done his filmography well up to this point. So it'd be a lot of it'd be a good time. Same. He loves having stuff take place in Michigan, Kyle. Mm, my heart. Mm-hmm. I, I think I've said this on previous episodes, but I still think Tony Todd would be fun just because the original Candyman is creepy as hell. And we get to watch <sighs> Final Destination. Yep. Yep. And some other really bad horror movies. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> so bad. And we get to watch The Rock. Yeah, it's true. He's a mercenary in The Rock. Max von Sydow was his Halloween connection is The Exorcist. Oh, I ain't so that's why he's on the list. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't watching that. Just so y'all know, I seen it one time. I'm done. There's a new Exorcist out right now with a bunch of a couple young girls watching that shit either. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know much else about Max von Sydow. I don't. I know he passed a couple years ago, but that's about it. Yeah, he's his most famous movie is probably The Seventh Seal, which is a Ingmar Bergman movie. Not a oh, horror movie, you. but no. Ooh, I'm in on that. I mean, death. Death is in the movie, in the Seventh Seal. I watched that shit in high school back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Was the Seventh Seal high school? He play, or no, he he plays the he doesn't play death. He plays the guy that death is coming after. Tip, who would you pick if you were gonna do a Halloween episode? Since um, Tony Todd and Bruce Campbell have been the longest on there, I would probably pick Bruce Campbell. Just to end their suffering. <laughs> well, I, I haven't seen many of the Bruce Campbell films, but I know that there is a large cult following. Evil Dead world, fucking love it. Who do we think uh, Stephanie would be at the top of her list? She was obsessed with Jamie Lee in particular. It makes me think that she, she would pick Sarah Michelle Gellar just because I feel like she would. She probably loved Buffy growing up. I was going to say, is she a Buffy girl? Because that would be the thing, right? Yeah. Well, it's a weird question with her because she's going to come regardless of who it is because she's always always comes for Halloween. So no matter who we do, she'll, she'll be prepped pro, and ready. So, yep. yep. Well, Stephanie doesn't decide. Chip doesn't decide. We don't decide. Uh, the ghost of Halloween. I don't know. Some some Jack Skellington doesn't decide. <laughs> the headless horseman. <laughs> yeah. The wheel decides. And we'll see what after Odd Fellow from Halloween Horror Nights. Does he decide? <laughs> Somebody from Halloween Town. No one. What's the let's see Charlie Brown Halloween something? I don't know. Great pump. I, I I can assure that no one from the Charlie Brown universe selects. That's the wheel who selects, and we'll see what happens. Chip, you're always great, my friend. You nailed it with your references. We always appreciate having you. Any this is your chance to plug anything for the show or any wise words um, to our audience. The floor is yours. 
Well, too much scrolling is in its 10th year of recording. Dang. And uh, just join us. And uh, every month we have a, a book that we read with Professor Pamela Bador that's always fascinating. So feel free to join a group read during that time. And if you want to send us an email or just look up too much scrolling, we're always interested in, in uh, listening to movies and books of the week. So that's what we cover every week. You rule, Chip. That was a blast. Well, thank you. Excuse me. It's always fun to be here. For our listeners who have stuck around to this point, uh, just Munson's history, uh, the big reason we exist is because of Chip, Steve, and Too Much Scrolling. They yeah. essentially brought myself and then James on uh, to do some guest spots. And when that kind of inspired the idea and the conversations with Craig, so we they're essentially our godfather. Like Too Much Scrolling is a very important part of Munson's history. So. And we asked you not to munch in it. <laughs> not out in the middle of nowhere. That's the goal. <laughs> we'll obviously invite you back, Chip, and we'll we'll do this again. We always do. Number six. Woo-hoo! Yeah, baby. Thanks, buddy. Well, as we finish things up, as always, you can catch us on the X, Munson's at Movies. This is where James would shake his head and go, damn it. You can catch us on Instagram, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from Steve Carell? And I do the cha-cha like a sissy girl. I like a do the cha-cha. Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we? I'm Prison Mike, but I am here to scare you straight. I am here to scare you straight!